Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Jesus does invite us to come to Him just as we are. In Matthew chapter 11, He spoke to His disciples and to those that had gathered around Him that day, and He said, Come to Me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so we extend that invitation to all of you here. Some of you are saved. Some of you are not saved. Some of you name the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Some of you do not. But the invitation of Jesus is to all of us, saved or not, to continue to come to Him and to find in Him rest and peace in your life. Last Sunday we considered the question, what do you know? What do you know for certain? What do you know for sure? What do you know with the greatest of confidence? What do you know that gives you confidence, renewed joy, and peace in times of uncertainty and trouble. What do you know that gives you confidence, renewed joy, and peace in times of uncertainty and trouble? I hope you've taken time to think about this question since I posed it to you last Sunday. Stand with me, if you will, in the reading of God's Word as we turn to 1 Philippians, excuse me, Philippians chapter 1. Paul only wrote one letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice." For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer 
and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I in nothing that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is the word of the Lord. We pray his blessing upon the reading of the word. You may be seated. For I know, the apostle says, that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer. We're going to talk about prayer this morning. And we'll not be able to cover all of the aspects of prayer. We could do an entire series on the doctrine of prayer. But I want to focus our attention upon Paul's mentioning of this doctrine to the Philippian church as he wrote to them while in prison in Rome. He was in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Chained to a prison guard. He had no privacy. No alone time. Few, if any, creature comforts did he experience in prison. But regardless of his situation and circumstance, he never lost his joy in Jesus Christ. In every weather, in every way, he said, whether in pretense or in truth, that is, whether in false motives or in God's truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Now, as we stated last Sunday, he mentioned five realities, five truths in his life and ministry that gave him confidence, renewed joy, and peace in times of uncertainty and in times of trouble. And to refresh our memory, those five truths are simply verse 19, he knew his situation would end in his deliverance. Again in verse 19, he knew the Philippian church was praying for him. Again in verse 19, he knew the Holy Spirit would provide for him. In verse 20, he knew God had a plan for his life and work. And again in verse 20, he knew that no matter what happened to him, Jesus Christ would be magnified. Jesus Christ would be exalted. Now we examined the first truth last Sunday. 
And I want to focus our attention on the second truth this morning, and that is the prayer or the prayers of the Philippian Christians. Again, the Apostle Paul is sitting in a Roman prison, waiting to face the charges that have been levied against him. But while he was in prison, he continued to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a magnificent personality is the Apostle Paul. Amen. Nothing dampens his spirit. Nothing stops him from fulfilling the call of Jesus Christ in his life. Even in prison, he is sharing the gospel of Jesus. With who? Anybody who would listen to him. Anybody who would li- There's a guard chained to him. It's not the same guard 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. The, you know, they had shifts as well. And so one guard would leave, another one would come in, and Paul would be chained to him for a while until he would leave and another one would come. So Paul had a continuous influx of the Roman guard to share Jesus Christ with. And he wasn't ashamed to do that. He wasn't apologetic to do that. He wasn't embarrassed to do that. He wasn't hesitant at all to talk to these Roman guards about Jesus. Plus, he was in prison. There were other people around, other prisoners around. And I'm sure he took every opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. Whether they wanted to hear about it or not didn't matter. He had a captive audience. And he could share Jesus and did share Jesus with these individuals. There were Jewish elders in Rome that heard the Apostle Paul was there. And they would come to the prison and talk to him about this sect, they called it, about this Christian faith. They knew that Paul was a Jew. They knew that at one time he was a Pharisee and that he was being groomed to take his place among the Sanhedrin, the high ruling council of the Jewish people. And they came to the prison to talk to him about that. He had an audience and he would talk to them about the claims of Jesus Christ. He would talk to them about the gospel. I'm sure they would argue uh, with him about this Jesus and about this gospel, but Paul did not shrink back. He was not intimidated. He continued to share Jesus Christ with them. And there were friends outside the prison who came to encourage the Apostle Paul and he would speak with them and he would talk with them and pray with them and encourage them as they encouraged him while he was in prison. Also while he was in prison he wrote letters. He wrote a letter to Philemon, a personal letter to Philemon, and he wrote three letters to Christian churches, one to Colossae, one to Ephesus, and this one that we are studying now, the church at Philippi. So Paul was a busy man in prison. He wasn't sitting back on his bunk playing his harmonica and, and singing, woe is me, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. He was busy sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with anyone that would listen. And even with those who wouldn't listen. 
And all the while he was in prison, he knew. Idol, the Greek word. He knew with confidence. He knew beyond the shadow of a doubt. He knew with full assurance that his imprisonment wouldn't last very long. In fact, he was released after having served two years in the Roman prison. Paul believed the promise of God that he would be a witness to the kings, to the Jews, and to the Gentiles. He believed that promise with all of his heart and nothing would keep him from fulfilling God's promise except death itself. Paul knew and he was assured of God's sovereignty. And he knew God's plan and purpose for him had not yet come to full fruition. He knew that he was not at the end of his time in ministry. He was confident that he would continue on in the ministry of the gospel. And Paul was confident. He was confident that the Philippian church was praying for him as he was in prison. Paul was a great believer in prayer. He was a great believer in prayer. He knew that God often achieved his will and accomplished his purposes in concert with the prayers of the saints. Now we're going to get into this a little bit, so put on your thinking caps with me. And let's examine some aspects of prayer that we probably already know, but maybe some aspects that we haven't heard of at this point. He knew that God often achieved His will and accomplished His purposes in concert with the prayers of of the saints. And that's why he wrote in verse 19, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, 35 times in 34 verses in 11 books of the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote. 35 times in 34 verses in 11 books that he authored, Paul wrote on the subject of prayer. He wrote on the subject of prayer. He was a faithful prayer warrior. You know what a prayer warrior is? You know what a warrior is? A warrior is someone who arms himself and goes out to battle to fight with one focus, and that is to become victorious in battle. A prayer warrior is an individual who arms himself in faith and in confidence before the Lord God, puts on the full armor of God, and goes out to battle the enemy of God and the enemy of God's people with prayer as his primary weapon. I believe, my mother told me, I believe it to be true, that around 80% of our spiritual battles are won in prayer. About 80% of our spiritual battles are won in prayer. 
Paul was a prayer warrior. He prayed. He prayed for God's will. He prayed for people. He prayed for lost souls. He prayed for churches that were in trouble. He prayed for churches that were successful and fruitful. He prayed for Christians and their ministry. He prayed. Paul continued to pray. He prayed for the soldiers chained to him. He prayed for fellow prisoners in the prison with him. He prayed for the emperor. He prayed for the magistrate that would stand before him. And judge his case. He prayed for those outside the prison walls that were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ with the right motives of seeing people saved. And he prayed for those others uh, who were out there preaching the gospel with false motives because they wanted to embarrass Paul. They wanted to put him in his place. They wanted him to be discouraged. He prayed for them as well. Paul also encouraged others to be prayer warriors with him. In Colossians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 he wrote, We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. And then he encouraged them, the Colossians, in chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, continue earnestly in prayer. Continue earnestly in prayer for us, that God would open to us a door for the Word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. We pray for you you Christians in Colossae, that you would be successful in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we ask you to pray for us so that we might continue to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ even while I'm here in prison in chains. The Corinthian church, a different church. The Corinthian church was in serious trouble. From Ephesus, the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to this church in an attempt to preserve the unity of the membership there. This church was in a mess. This church uh, was uh, fractured. This church had individuals who, uh, who were followers of Paul and others who hated Paul. There, there were individuals there who uh, were involved in all kinds of, uh, of sinful behavior. There were those who were trying to maintain their spirituality. There were all kinds of issues going on in the Corinthian church. And the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in an attempt to preserve the unity of that church. He encouraged them to repent of their sin and to return to faith in Jesus Christ. He also detailed some of the struggles that he had gone through, that he had suffered for the cause of Christ. Timothy, Paul's protege, delivered that first letter to the church. And then Paul made a brief visit to the Corinthian church and it didn't go well. It didn't go well. There were false prophets in that church that maligned the Apostle Paul, that uh, slandered him, and had him run out of town. It didn't go well at all. He left then for Philippi. 
where he wrote a very severe letter to this church. Then upon hearing that the church received his letter and repented of their sin, he wrote 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5 and verses 8 through 11, he wrote, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. In other words, as the sufferings of Christ have brought peace amongst us, so that peace amongst us continues to multiply through Christ. For we do not want you to be ignorant, he continues. We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, for our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure and above strength, so that we de despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us. That thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Paul said in Asia we went to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ and we found danger there. There was trouble there. There was contention there. Even to the point where we were threatened with our very lives. But we didn't trust in our ingenuity. We didn't trust in our abilities to sidestep the issues, to back away from presenting the gospel, to do otherwise, even to leave the area. We knew that the Lord could raise the dead if it was necessary to do so. But through your prayers, he said, thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Now one of the great truths of Scripture, one of the great truths of Scripture is that God works His will through the prayers of His people. This is a great truth in Scripture. God works His will through the prayers of His people. However, there's a question. There is a question. And the question is this. Now think with me, doesn't God's sovereignty over all things render our need to pray useless? Doesn't God's sovereignty over all things render our need to pray useless? In other words, if God works all things according to the counsel of His will, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, and if God's purposes cannot be defeated by men, cannot be changed by men, Job chapter 42 verse 2, then why should we pray? I know there are people who are puzzled by that question. 
if we believe that God is sovereign over all things, and God is immutable, He never changes, then why should we pray to God for anything? You've answered correctly. There are a number of reasons why we should continue to pray. Let me give you two. Let me just share two of them with you. Number one, God has declared that His people play a role in the accomplishment of His will and purposes. God has declared in His Word, God has declared that His people play a role, a key role, in, a, in the accomplishments of His will and purposes. God has ordained, listen, God has ordained to work through the prayers of His people. That means God chooses to work through people who pray. And He chooses to work through the prayers of those people who pray. It's His choice. He chooses to do that. It's not that our prayers alter God's will or purpose. It is that God reveals and affirms His will to us when we pray. Then He works in us and through us to accomplish His will and purpose. Now God can do anything that God wants to do because God is sovereign. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. And as God who created all things, God can do anything that God desires to do. But God has chosen to work His will and to accomplish His purposes through the prayers of his people and through his people who pray. Yes, he answers prayer. Matthew chapter 6. Turn in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. A very familiar passage of Scripture to you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus. Is teaching his disciples and those people that have gathered there on that hillside. A, a number of different things about kingdom life. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is really all about. Kingdom life. The principles of kingdom life. And in this pa particular passage he's going to teach us about prayer. And notice, he says in verse 9 and 10, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now think about this. Jesus has determined that his kingdom will come because He ordained His kingdom to come. And He told the, the elders of Israel in no uncertain terms that He came to bring the kingdom to them. He came to bring them the kingdom of God. And He is the king of that kingdom. He could not bring the kingdom of God to them because they killed the king of the kingdom. He was determined to bring His kingdom 
to earth. He ordained it to be so. And yet he calls us to pray for his kingdom to come. And he also calls us to pray that through our prayers, his kingdom will advance through us as laborers in his harvest, as laborers in his kingdom, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 38. We have an important role in God's redemptive plan here on earth. And Jesus said, you need to pray that God's will is going to be done as that kingdom comes and as that kingdom advances through the witness of his people. In James chapter 5 and verse 16 is a second observation, and that is that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And what does that mean? What does that mean? This is James chapter 5 verse 16. It means that spiritual power, listen, spiritual power is released when righteous men and women pray. I don't know if you grasp that. Prayer is not an exercise, a routine that we engage in moment by moment, day by day. Prayer is a stick of spiritual dynamite. And it is only when we ignite that spiritual stick of dynamite in our prayer life that the power of God's Holy Spirit is released and is affected. The context here in James chapter 5 verse 16, the context is that of intercession. Because that was, that's what James is talking about. Interceding for one another. Praying for the lost. Praying for those who are caught up in sin. Praying for those who are ill. And so the context here is that of intercession. So in other words, what James is telling us is that prayer is not so much for God's benefit as it is for the benefit of the one who is praying and the benefit of the one who is being prayed for. Amen. And when... Righteous men and women engage the Lord God in effective, fervent prayer. Spiritual power is released in that one who is praying and in those for whom that person is praying. Power in prayer is not seen in strong-arming God to do what we want. And tragically, that is so much what prayer is in a lot of Christians. We pray presenting the Lord with a laundry list of things that we want God to do. And sometimes we become so bold in our praying that we even become contentious with the Lord as we pray. I remember watching television one day not long ago. Well, it was long ago because I haven't watched television for years now. But I was on a religious channel and I was clicking through and, and there was a religious program that was on and, and I saw a group of people sitting on 
a, a kind of a round couch, and in the middle of them was a, a table, uh, like a coffee table, a large coffee table, and it was piled high with cards and letters that people had sent in to that particular religious organization. And there was an individual who had these other individuals sitting on the couch with him, and he reached out and he touched these cards and the letters and he bowed his head in prayer and he said, Lord God, these are the prayer requests of the people who have written to us that we would pray for them because they are sick in need of healing, they're in financial distress, in need of resources, and so on and so forth. And then he said, I command you to answer their prayers. I got up and left the room because I didn't want to get swallowed up by the earthquake that was going to happen at that moment. Who are we? That even in our prayer life, we would command God to act on our behalf. Prayer is not an activity to strong arm God into doing what we want God to do for us. It is a powerful tool of the prayer warrior to be encouraged and to encourage others as they pray. The lost are brought under spiritual conviction of sin when God's people pray. People are brought to faith in Jesus Christ when God's people pray. The discouraged are encouraged as we pray with them and for them. Praying passages of Scripture that emphasizes God's power upon them, God's presence with them, God's provision for them. They are encouraged when we pray for them. The spiritually weak are made strong in knowing that they have an earthly advocate, you and me, if we are faithful and righteous in our prayer times with God. The spiritually weak are made strong, knowing that they have us to plead before our Heavenly Father on their behalf, that He would bless them with courage and boldness and peace and faithfulness and wisdom. The physically sick are comforted as we pray, reminding them that Jesus is our great physician and that he holds them in the palms of his hands and that he is able, and if in accordance with his will, will heal them and restore them to life and vitality. The dying are reassured as we pray for them and as we pray with them. They are reassured by reminding them that as they face the valley of the shadow of death, they would fear no evil for the Lord Christ is with them to comfort and to guide them on to their home in glory. When we pray, spiritual power is released that affects those that are praying 
and those who are being prayed for. And quite often, God works through those prayers to encourage, to lift up, to strengthen the one who is praying and those who are being prayed for. Not a thousand years ago or a million miles away, I was facing some dark days. My first pastorate was not going well. And I was very discouraged. I was heart sick. The hard-heartedness of the people to the gospel. Their unwillingness to cooperate in ministry. Their unwillingness to go and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a dying community, spiritually dying community. Their criticism. As I said, it was my first pastorate. And I was chastised by the comments of a number of the individuals in the church. Very discouraged, very heartsick. And I was getting ready, I hadn't yet, but I was getting ready to tell Nancy that I was going to resign the church and I was going to quit the ministry because it wasn't what I signed up for. But before I mustered up the courage to talk to her about this, I got a phone call from someone I hadn't heard from in years. It was my Sunday school teacher when I was in the first grade. Lena Meadows. And she called me. And she said, I was thinking about you. She said, I remember when you were a little guy in my Sunday school class. And she said, I was rambunctious. My dad used a different word. She said, you were full of energy and you learned your lessons well and you loved to read the Bible and memorize verses. And She said, I was thinking of you today and I wanted to call and tell you. I am so glad that God called you to be a pastor. She said, I saw that from your earliest days and I am so glad you heard the call. And you answered the call, and you're obedient to him. She didn't know what I was going through. No one had told her, because I hadn't told anyone. But God knew what I was going through, and God spoke to Lena Meadows and she called and she spoke to me and said I 
I'm praying for you. I am praying for you. I've been in ministry for almost 50 years now. And countless other individuals have given me encouragement and consolation by just pulling me aside and saying, I want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Power in prayer. It's not strong-arming God into doing what we want, but in being encouraged as we pray and encouraging others through our prayers. When righteous people pray, the power of God is released in them and in those for whom they pray. That God's will and God's purpose is going to be accomplished and will bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul prayed three times for a demonic messenger from Satan to be removed from him. But the Lord said, no. Not going to do it. No. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Sometimes, dear friends, God's answer to our prayers is no. Sometimes His answer is yes. Sometimes His answer is Wait a while. Wait a while. But in this instance, in Paul's life, the answer was no. I've got something better for you, Paul. Rather than to release you from this demonic messenger sent by Satan, I want to teach you to trust in me, to lean on me, to find your strength in me. Paul was encouraged by his own prayer, as God answered it. He knew with great joy and with assurance that through the prayers of his friends, especially the church at Philippi, God would work his will and his purpose in him, and in this case, delivering him from prison. And he did. God did deliver him. Their prayers were answered. Paul believed in prayer. He was confident in prayer. He rejoiced greatly in prayer. Prayer gave him a deep sense of peace and consolation. And he called for people to experience that same peace and consolation in praying for him as an apostle of Jesus Christ, but also in praying for themselves and for others. In Romans chapter 15, verses 30 to 32, Paul writes, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayer to God. Strive. That means to work. That means to stretch out with every fiber of your being. Pray with me in prayers 
to God, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Notice all of the benefits that Paul mentions here when people pray and as they pray for him that he may be delivered from those in Judea who stand in contending against him. That he may be of service for the saints in Jerusalem and be accepted by them. That he could come to the Roman Christians if it's the will of God and minister to them as well. And that together all of us may be spiritually refreshed. Prayer does all of that? Oh yeah, you betcha. That and so much more. After revealing the pieces of spiritual armor that Christians are to use against the power of Satan in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul wrote in verses 18, 19, and 20, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Put on the, the entire armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. Put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith. Use the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and don't forget to pray. Pray. Someone said, I don't know who, but someone said that prayer is the oil that makes all of the armor work together freely. It makes all of the armor. It's like oiling machinery. It makes all of the cogs and the wheels and everything else involved in the machinery function smoothly. Prayer does that for the armor of God in our lives. In 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul wrote in chapter 5, verse 25, Brethren, pray for us. And this is in the emphatic. It is an imperative uh, mood here in the Greek. Pray for us. I am begging you, pray for us. And so he says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18, I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice because you are praying for me. You are praying for me. What do you know? that gives you confidence. Renewed joy and peace in times of uncertainty and trouble. What do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that gives you confidence, renewed joy and peace in times of uncertainty and trouble. Do you know that whatever situation you may find yourself in, God is working for you, in you, and through you to bring about your deliverance in whatever situation you're facing? Do you know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purposes? Romans 8, 28. 
Do you know that God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work? 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. Do you know that in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us? Romans 8, verse 37. Do you know these things? What do you know that gives you confidence, renewed joy, and peace in times of uncertainty and trouble? Do you know that prayer is a powerful ministry when it's exercised in faith as a righteous person? Look at Philippians chapter 4 and we'll close. You're in chapter 1. Look at chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> Philippians 4. And I believe this passage speaks to our times. After what we've been going through for the last couple of years, I think it speaks directly to us in the times that we're living. Notice what he says. Be anxious for nothing. Huh? You know what the word anxious means? It means to worry. It means to fret. It means to get all uptight and bothered. It means to panic because the circumstances are out of control. He says be anxious for nothing. Are you anxious for something today? Are you worried about something today? I've told you about my paternal grandmother, my father's mother. She was a worrywart. She really was. She was a worrywart. She worried about everything. Everything. And when she didn't have something to worry about, she worried about that. <laughs> the Apostle Paul says... Be anxious for nothing, but in everything what? In prayer. Everything in prayer and supplication, which is a, another form of prayer. Everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God. Do you have peace this morning? I don't know what your situation is. Some of you are glad to tell me what your situation is. Others of you are very reserved about telling me your situation. But do you have peace this morning in whatever situation you're facing today? Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. What a powerful promise. What a gem to mine and to possess. What a wonderful key that unlocks our heart, our mind, our spirit from the prison of doubt and worry. Jesus said in Matthew 21, verse 22, 
whatever things you ask in prayer, believe that you will receive it. Jesus, though being the Son of God, and think about that. Jesus, though being the Son of God, prayed to the Father always. He was always in prayer. Sometimes he was in prayer by himself. Sometimes he was in prayer with his disciples. Sometimes he was praying as he was ministering to others. He was in continual communication with the Father in mind and spirit in every aspect of his life, in every aspect of his ministry. Paul never underestimated the power of prayer in his own life and in the lives of of other Christians. And it is my prayer that you and I, as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, will take seriously the privilege that God has given us through His Holy Spirit to pray. Stand with me. As David comes and leads us in a song, and as we dismiss. This one thing I know, as we approach the Lord, Father, we thank you, and may we do so with this in our hearts before you, that this is who you are. <clears throat> you are a holy God, and you are holy, that you are above all that we experience in this life. You are master, you are savior, you are sovereign. Take us from this house of worship and praise and lead us, Lord, into the fields that are white to harvest, that we might be instruments of your will in bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ, and that we might encourage one another as we minister to them and as we pray with them and for them, so that your power is released 
and lives are forever changed. Bless us as we go, that we might be a blessing to you and your kingdom's work. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, and have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on Him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to Him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org. Oh, R.G.